You know, it's um, the beauty of what we heard this morning in our call to worship and in the songs that we sang is that, that God has freed us. Free grace, which is a very costly grace, so that we would not just uh, be card-carrying anything who think one day we show this card for our admission into heaven, but so that as, if you will, card-carrying believers, those who are new in Christ, also experience the joy of having our lives transformed. Now, it's a joy that comes with effort. It's a joy that comes with challenge, with struggle, with working out our salvation, with fear and trembling as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this uh, walk of progressive sanctification, slowly, a little at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, being transformed more and more into the holy likeness of Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling us in Ephesians that all of these things are in Christ. You and I are united in Christ personally, and we are joined together as a body corporately and very personally. And Ephesians 1 casts the wonderful vision and the, 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 the magnanimous reality that God is uh, is bringing all things in the universe together in Christ. And you and I are one in Christ, as we've been seeing for the last few weeks. And this morning we'll get to continue on with how we see this lived out uh, in our lives. This, this letter of Ephesians, it, it beats in stereo with the heartbeat of the Lord and the heartbeat of Paul. Right? And so with every breath or with every stroke of the pen, you might say, we see Paul's passion for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus drew him out of his life of hatred for Christ followers. And when his name was Saul, before he knew and before he loved Jesus, Saul was a man in many ways like, like you and I, and in some ways quite, quite different. But he, was, uh, he, he met Jesus personally while traveling on the road to Damascus. And actually, just before he got to this town to persecute Christians, he was blinded by a light as he's walking on this way. Now, just pause and think about this for a moment. Sometimes we go, oh, yeah, yeah, Paul was, he was blinded by the light. But just let that reality hit, hit you for a minute. Paul, with a few friends, is walking on this road, and suddenly a light shining and a voice speaking from heaven impacts him and everyone around. Everyone around hears the voice, but they don't see anything. And Paul's life is transformed from that moment on. Over the next few days, he didn't see anything. Someone took him by the hand and led him into Damascus, to someone's home, who the Lord said, hey, this guy's going to be coming to you. And, and, and he said, Lord, uh, this is Matt's paraphrase, by the way. Are you sure you want to bring him to my house? Don't you know what he's been doing to Christians? I'm not feeling like this is going to be a great day for me. But, but he received him anyway in faith, obeying the Lord. Paul was a man, or Saul was a man who served many, or served gods, lowercase g. And he thought he was serving the one true God, but he was really only serving the institution of the day, if you will. But he was passionate about it. You ever know somebody who's passionate about, about their faith? 
in religion, about their faith in politics, about their, uh, about their faith or their life's goal, that life will be complete if we make our, our city better, our town better, our nation better, our world more peaceful. Every Christmas, we pray and we, we sing for peace. We ask the Lord for peace. And yet all throughout Scripture, the Lord says, peace isn't coming until Jesus comes. Peace in our hearts is reality, but uh, peace is not coming just of the world by how we hold hands around Christmas together. So before his encounter with Jesus, Paul was dead in his trespasses and sins. It's what he says in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He, He followed the course of the prince of the power of the air, who's the devil, and Paul was doing his bidding for a period not outside of the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ, mind you. Let's not ever forget that, right? Satan, Satan has a limited reign within the purpose of God, where God, through whom God will accomplish his ultimate purposes for the world. So even while Saul was following this, uh, the course of the prince of the power of the air, his thinking was, was futile. In, in other words, he served a temporary purpose that he thought was grander than him. He served a temporary purpose. It's like, uh, it's like uh, you know, blowing bubbles and, uh, and then going and chasing those bubbles and then poking those bubbles in the air, right? I mean, it's futile. It's purposeless. It's, it's fine to do for some fun, right? It's fine to do when the sun is hot and we get out and we're playing in the water and somebody brings the bubbles and we're playing with the bubbles. Uh, but, to, but to live that way, if, if we just said to our employers or to our families and said, you know, I, I'm going to live, I'm going to spend my day uh, blowing bubbles and then popping them. Isn't that so much fun? We think, yeah, that's fun to do with the grandkids and, and with your kids maybe or with the kids in the neighborhood, right? I mean, but if there's a bunch of adults running out there doing this, people are going to drive by and go, what in the world is happening there? And as Paul starts to talk about what it means to live, live uh, thinking futile thoughts, that, that ought to draw our, mind, draw our mind to something of that uh, magnitude, which is very small, very temporal, very purposeless. It's like a mist in the air that quickly vanishes. And so Saul realizes that he was living an ignorant life of the true life of God as his understanding of life was darkened because Saul's heart was hard or calloused toward the things of God. Saul was pursuing a righteousness that was no righteousness at all. And so Paul is, in a sense, sharing part of his personal testimony here. And so over the course of the next three glorious days, Paul is blind and he's in his house. He's not in his house with Ananias. And Saul prayed so intently that he did not eat or drink for the next three days. He prayed. And then Ananias, who, who was rightly afraid of Paul, obeys the command of the Lord, and he goes to the house where Paul was praying. I think he said he was Ananias' house, but I was off on that. Uh, and he laid his hands on him. And this is what Ana- uh, Acts nine seventeen through 19 tells us. He calls him Brother Saul. Yeah, now, that's a movement of faith. It, it, it might have been like a plea. You know, I come in peace. Brother Saul. No. You know what it was? It was a resolute conviction that the Almighty God has informed me 
that he's created and saved you for a purpose. And so I come in confidence, not knee-shaking peace or knee-shaking raising a white flag. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to encourage you to think about something here. Um, Very often, we will live our lives and feel like we're doing the best we can. And then we read in scripture some ways that the Lord tells us that we're to live. And then we say, well, I don't know why we have to do that. Well, the point is, it doesn't matter if you know why we have to do that. It doesn't matter if I know why we have to do that. Why do we have to meet together week in and week out? Why does he keep chirping on about this? Oh, not not me, Paul. Why does he keep talking about this? Well, because God is building us up into a spiritual household. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that household, the foundation, the, the, firm, uh, the firm foundation of this household. Well, why do we need to spend time renewing our minds in the Word of God? Because that's how God designed it for you and I to grow up into Him, into maturity. This is why doctrine is important. Doctrine just means belief. So you have doctrine. The question is, is it just good doctrine or bad doctrine, right? Everybody has got doctrine, Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters when you lose your job. Doctrine, doctrine matters when something in your life that is earth-shattering to you happens. And your doctrine, uh, your belief system, will direct how you respond to the events of life. When someone treats you the wrong way and, and, and proverbially kind of spits in your face, your doctrine determines how you handle it. And I've heard people say, you know, yeah, I mean, I love the Lord, but I just don't really care that much for doctrine. I challenge you on that statement because doctrine matters. Now, truth, knowledge in and of itself uh, can be destructive, but purposeful learning about the ways of the Lord is necessary for us to grow up into maturity. Right? Sometimes people will say, well, I just don't really know this or I just don't really know that. And what they're not saying is, and it makes me nervous to learn about it, or, or I'm not interested in it, or I have a fear of maybe pursuing it and not learning it well, and therefore I'm just going to keep living my life the way that I am. What they may not realize is that means not growing up in Christ. Uh, we're never called to learn it all in one time. We're called to learn it a little, a little at a time. And so Saul is in this house, and, and, and God sends Ananias to do the very thing that God could do, right? God, through Jesus, met Saul on the road to Damascus, shined a light so bright that it blinded Saul. But Saul wasn't really blinded by the light. He was blinded because the Lord said he's going to be blinded, and he could just as easily have said, okay, now you can receive your sight and go on your way. But no, why did he do that? Well, because God was, God was validating the ministry of Saul, right? Who we know most frequently as Paul, but here in Acts, he's Saul. And so God's validating his ministry. And Ananias and other disciples, they're nervous, but they know from external sources that God set up that this man's been changed, so Ananias comes and he, uh, well, let's just look at the passage here. Immediately, something like scales 
fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Now, what is happening there is, uh, is for us now looking at something that happens metaphorically in our own lives. The scales fall off our spiritual eyes. You remember when Paul prayed in the very beginning of Ephesians? He said uh, that, the, that the, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. It would be the same as the scales falling off our eyes or the scales falling off our hearts. Or as Paul uses in, in Corinthians, he talked about the veil being lifted so that now we can see what's been there all along. And now, because of the mercy of God, we're able to see. And then Luke tells us that he rose and he was baptized, and then taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, fellowshipping with the brothers of Christ and and growing in the Lord and learning the doctrine of God. And so Paul's writing this letter. It's flowing out of his personal experience. He says, I was there. I was dead in my trespasses, and then I met Jesus, and the scales came off, and I see now my purpose in this world to go and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so as a new Christian, he begins developing this unity with the disciples in Damascus, and, and after they you know, kind of stopped shaking in their boots, they, they probably developed a very close, quick kinship that was really only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can meet together in small groups for a period of time, and then, and then maybe if the group grows uh, to be a number that's, that where it becomes too difficult for a few people to be staying together, or, you know, whatever the number might be, we, 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 can actually, uh, we can actually multiply and then welcome others into the fellowship so that we can grow in small pockets of fellowship throughout the church. And we can say, you know what, uh, we, can, we love this fellowship, but but this is a temporary fellowship because we have fellowship with everybody for all of eternity. And so we can, we can break off and we can welcome new uh, brothers and sisters into our fellowship and, you know, whatever context that's called. And, and what happens? It doesn't take 8, 9, 10, 14 months, 5 years to develop a, a kinship and relationship. It can sometimes take days or moments or just a few weeks to realize The Lord is at work in our midst, knitting our hearts together through the power of his spirit. And immediately after that, Saul begins preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, and he's telling everyone that Jesus is the son of God. And the word says that he was he was proving to them. He was convincing them that Jesus is the son of God. Of course, some hated him for it. But essentially what happens here is through repentance and faith, Paul, in effect, changed his clothes. He changed his wardrobe. You see, he was wearing old, tattered, ratty, spiritual clothes, if you will. And then then the Lord met him at Damascus, changed his whole perspective. I mean, he did a 180, flipped him upside down. What is going on, Paul says? The Lord transformed him. And then, in effect, he puts on these new clothes. Radiant clothes. Radiant clothes filled with or clothed in the righteousness of Christ with different actions, different attitudes, different behaviors, different thinking. And so Paul begins to convey what happened to him with the reality of what has to happen to every believer. 
This is what he shows us here today. That we are to be changed after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because of the reality that Jesus paid it all. And when God brought us out of death into life, he also gave us everything that we need to follow Christ. Paul exhorts followers of Jesus and he shows them how to live in our new Christian wardrobe. How to live in our new Christian wardrobe. Let's read together Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. He says, Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him, that the truth is in Jesus. To put off your older self, I'm sorry, old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you pray with me as we continue this morning? Heavenly Father, we would ask you this morning that through the power of your spirit, the great comforter and counselor to our souls, that you would instruct our minds and our hearts, open our eyes to behold wondrous things as we look at your word this morning. You are all wonderful and we love you, Lord. And there are aspects of our hearts that don't believe either who you've saved us to be or that you've saved us at all because because we're still impacted by the flesh that we live in. But you've called us not to remain there, but to turn the corner, turn around, and to press on for that which you've taken hold of for us, that we now get to struggle and and live out with great joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Paul essentially describes how we're to live as Christians in really like three movements. And you're going to see it in a couple of ways. We saw it as we just talked about Paul's conversion. And then Paul's going to, uh, 17 through 19, he kind of talks about the old self. And then 20 and 21, uh, he talks about, uh, he talks about uh, being renewed uh, by continually learning Christ. And then 22 through 24, he talks about how we're to walk in the re- renewed wardrobe of Christ. So this is a, a don't walk this way. Right? Don't, don't walk in the old, tattered, unbelieving wardrobe of the flesh. He's not saying change your thinking on your own. He's saying you have been changed. And now we get to walk it out, which takes effort and cooperation with the Lord. And then we're renewed by continually learning Christ. And then, number three, walk, we're to walk in the renewed wardrobe of Christ, which then in 22 and 24, he spells out very specifically, again, put off the old self, be renewed and transformed uh, in the renewing of your mind, and put on the new self. So we're going to see this in a, in a repetitious form. Paul gives this urgent plea in the Lord when you look at the beginning. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord 
Brother and sister, never does any of this happen in yourself. It's never to happen on your own strength. It happens in the Lord who reveals himself to us through his word perfectly, without error, so that we can know how God works with his people throughout all ages, specifically how God works in renewing believers in Christ. And that's why we spend time together around the word to, 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 to learn this together. And so he speaks as a man who had access to the mind of Christ, which he tells us elsewhere that we also have the mind of Christ because we have his word. And so he says, don't walk as Gentiles. Now, this is a synonym that um, this is a synonym essentially for every uh, all the peoples of the world. Everybody that was non-Jewish, Gentiles became a synonym for, and, and eventually came to be synonymous with those who are unbelievers. And sometimes it's just a simple statement of those who are unbelievers, which we can be really uh, become very accustomed to in almost too casual of a sense. Really, it often means those who are going after the lusts of their own flesh. Now, as we hear that, we think, oh, them. us. Spiritual Gentiles without Christ. That's who you were. That's who I was before the Lord brought us from death, transferred us from death, from darkness into light. So the old tattered unbelieving word of the flesh is, is futile thinking. It can be characterized by, by futile thinking, right? I talked about those bubbles or, or silly games like that that we might play. It really is that silly to think that, that we would set up objects, that we would set up people, that we would set up activities, that we would set up careers, that we would set up statuses, that we would set up uh, substances, that we would love food so much, that we would love our, our habits, our, our, our patterns, the the, the way that we enjoy this life, that we would love money, that we would love uh, the way others view us, that we would be so afraid of others that we're not willing to speak the truth in love or live out our Christian faith. It's all futile. It's all temporary. It's, it's a mist that passes. Kids, this summer you may have seen those dandelions that grew up and then they were yellow and you maybe picked them and you took them into your mom and you gave her this beautiful flower that you found at the end, only later in life realizing it's not actually a sunflower. But you bring this beautiful flower to your mom. You know, if that flower continues uh, for just a few more uh, weeks, all of a sudden it begins to seed. And you see those beautiful, you know, that, that crazy weed haircut, right? And you pick it up. You might not even be able to pick it up and pull it from its spot in the ground. And you just, it's gone. When we think according to how we want to think naturally, according to the natural person. It's just, it comes and goes just like that. This earth comes and it's gone. Paul says, don't think like, don't think like the Gentiles. Don't, don't think like the, the unbelievers. Remember, who's he writing to? He's writing to believers. So he's saying, you have this in Christ. You are in Christ. You are robed in his righteousness. Don't, don't, don't take off what God has purchased for you and walk back to the slums and live according to that. No. King Solomon said, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanities. I mean, all is vanity. 
And it comes from that Hebrew word, which means breath or vapor. Anything that's frail or transitory, temporary. Solomon tried to find satisfaction in everything, and we get to see his testimony. Because I've tried everything, and it's all vanity save walking with the Lord. The old tattered, unbelieving wardrobe of the flesh brings darkened understanding. Brings darkened understanding, right? The light has gone out in the seat of the Gentiles' understanding, and they are no longer capable of understanding or or apprehending ultimate truth, right? This is a clear contrast with believers. And it almost sounds like... uh, we get a little Gnostic in that sense, talking about believers, but we're not because our knowledge is not a higher knowledge that comes from within us that we're not allowed to let others in on. I mean, this is not a Gnostic secret. This is a righteous, ultimate truth, one source of authority, knowledge that God has given for the entire world to read, know, and understand. You and I get to be the bearers of it. You and I get to be the ambassadors carrying this message to the whole world. And God says, this is what you have in your hand. Why would you go back? Why would you persist in living according to the ways of the world or the ways in which you think makes sense? No, walk in faith. The old tattered unbelieving order of the flesh reveals that we're alienated from the life of God. Not just the benefits or the blessings that we get. This is not about streets of gold, though that's a wonderful side effect. This is, this is, a, this is, a, this is about the fact that the gospel is Jesus. The gospel, our prize in heaven, is the Lord. And as we pursue putting off the flesh, being renewed in the spirit of our minds, and putting on the new self, we do so for one goal. That through knowing Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, not, not, not a way, or a truth, or a life, but the way, the truth, and the life according to John 14, 6. We do so knowing that when we get to glory, we get Jesus. We get the Lord. Without the struggles of our flesh, without the hang-ups that, that want to drag us down. Paul said we run a race, and we run the race as though we're going to run to finish. And so we, we move everything out of the way. If there's something that looks like it might trip us up, we, we move it out of the way. Why? So we don't stumble on it. That's what he's saying. Move it out of the way. Put off your old self. Don't live as the Gentiles live. Futile in their thinking, darkened in their understanding, and alienated from the life of God, which is shown by the fact that they're ignorant. That's not an insult. It's a description. There are a lot of things in this world that I'm ignorant of. I don't need to tell you that. You probably know already, right? My wife and I are doing some uh, work in our home right now. And some of you who know me are already laughing, which is right and fair and good. I mean, it'd be nice if you didn't do it for the whole church, but whatever. You know, I'm not naturally gifted at these things. So it's very much my wife and I, I'm not like just being kind and bringing her into the picture, right? I'm ignorant of a lot of things. And we've been texting a lot of you. How do you do this and taking pictures and sending it and da, 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 you know, sent a picture to Todd yesterday. And he said, looks good from Urbana. (laughs) 
when we walk according to the way of the Gentiles, we display our ignorance of the things of God. And Paul says, that doesn't, that doesn't have to be. Listen to how, how Paul explains this. Well, let me mention one more thing. Uh, uh, the old, tattered, unbelieving wardrobe of the flesh is callous and depraved. Brothers and sisters, the more, the more you continue to lean into the flesh, the old self, the old, tattered wardrobe, the more comfortable you will become in it and the harder it will be for you to hear the still small voice of the Spirit of God whispering to you, walk this way. Love my word. Love righteousness. In Romans, Paul writes about it this way, Romans 1, 18 through 32. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now that word suppress is key. I have to be quick on this, but the idea of, of God's truth coming to us and, and we, we push it down or we, we push it out of the way. And the Lord is always through creation and through his word and the testimony of believers bringing to us his truth. And we are, we're pushing it away. We're, we're pushing it down. We're saying, no, I don't want that to be clouding my thinking. Why? I love living in the futility of my mind. I love walking in ignorance and I don't, I don't want this because my heart's callous. So he, for what can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, next slide, and divine nature, has, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. You see that word there? Futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of God for immortal images. I'm sorry, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They fashioned these idols and they're like, yeah, let's worship this. We need something we can see. A side note, like when God, the Lord comes down from the mountain and, uh, or I'm sorry, Aaron comes down from the mountain and, or Moses comes down. Somebody came down from a big mountain. <laughs> Aren't you glad the Lord brought me to be your pastor? <laughs> Moses comes down from the mountain and Aaron's down at the bottom. Like Aaron does not know what to do with his people. Right? And they're like, we, we need a God. And he's like, okay, everybody, let's work together and let's form and let's, everybody bring me your gold and let's make these. And then Moses comes down the mountain. He's like, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, we just threw this in here and poof, out came a calf. I love it. Isn't that how we talk about our sin? I digress, but it's true. Oh, I just fell out of love. Really? Just one day, woke up, you, you fell, you're passive in it. Just never, never had any contribution to the idea of, of working to walk in love. Sacrificially. I just fell out of love. I just never learned the Bible. I just... I don't understand. I can't understand. Oh, it's all passive. We're not responsible for it. No, no. It just happened. And one day I was hooked. I don't know how it happened. Therefore, God gave them up 
in the lusts of their heart, lusts, passionate pursual of their desires, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so for this reason, in other words, because they continue to persist after their own desires, their own temporal, futile wants, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You see, God gave them up. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Uh, to, to, to nature. And likewise, the men gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Friends, we're not born this way. We're born as individuals who are totally depraved, where sin affects every area of our life. We are all born in sin. We are all born that way. Consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with the men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, remember they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. God gave them up to a debased mind. That's callous thinking to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. And they're full of envy, murder. Oh, oh, now it's going from like them to us. You've been envious? Angry with someone? Ready for payback? Covetousness. Malice. They're full of, uh, of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. <gasps> it's getting closer. Slanderers. Haters of God. I don't mean to make fun of the Word of God, friends. Just sometimes we... Mm, sometimes humor is just a doorway into our own willingness to understand it. That's it slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. You hear that, kids? Something for everybody here today. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And Paul says, Jesus paid it all. So what? All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. And I'm going to hit on our second and third point for the day quickly because this is a part two sermon. We're going to dive into it more next week in verses 25 uh, through the end there. But, but secondly, we are to continually learn Christ. Now, why is this important? We, uh, we are to continually put on the reality of who we are in Christ, continually learning him, getting to know him. Um, he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard him, heard about him, were taught in him. As the, tr- as the truth is in Jesus. So Paul is emphasizing personal relationship here. He doesn't just simply say, as you learned about Christ, as you, as you learned him, as you learned him and then experienced him through repentance and faith, you learned about him, you, you heard him or received the gospel as you were taught in Christ. Now, here's a challenge. Because our culture wants to, wants to peddle a gospel that says you can pray a prayer, 
Oh, go to church, fill in the blank times per year and go to heaven. And then you can live like hell the rest of the time. If you learned that gospel lowercase g with a strike through through it, that is no gospel at all. Then when you hear somebody imploring you with the word of God in hand and from the word of God to give your whole life to learning Christ, to knowing God and to walking in him, you hear religion. You hear rules. But the Psalms say all over, and the Proverbs says, really all throughout the Bible, love the Lord. Love His law. Yep. God tells us how to live. And we love it. Because we know we serve a God who loves us. We know we serve a God who wants the very best for us. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ. Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Every one of us in this room is to be established in the faith. From children to adults, we're working to be established in the faith. We're we're putting effort into our learning to be established in the faith, which is why it's important for us not only to be here on Sunday mornings, but to be engaged in relationship with others throughout the week. Why? So that we can be rooted and established in Jesus Christ. It's never just about knowing the text of the Bible. It's about knowing it, helping others put it into practice because we are members of one another. And so we're to be established in the faith just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. So that's that second point there, right? We're to learn the truth and the, the, the tradition or what we've heard of and received in Christ and the substance of the Lord. As I already said, he's emphasizing personal relationship here. Thirdly, we're to walk in the renewed wardrobe of Christ. Look at what he says here in 22 through 24. He says, oh, I'm in Romans. I was like, that's not what he says. Right? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Now, notice this three-step process or movement process, if you will. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, when you don't, you don't sense the desire to put off the old self, you know that it's a work of obedience for the believer, as Matt said in his call to worship, so that can, we can live out who we are created to be. And, and you have to put off the old self. You have to work at it, not to earn acceptance with God, but to flesh out who you already were created to be before Ephesians 2.10 says the world was created. He created works that we should walk in them. But we're not going to notice them. Why? Because we're callous in our thinking. We have futile thinking. We've, we've got ca- uh, callous hearts. We, we're, we're walking in darkness. So we need to put that off and put that off and then step into the light. We put off the flesh. We're renewed in the spirit of our minds and we step into the light. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't keep taking the old wardrobe out and putting it back on again. Don't take that useless, darkened, futile, deceptive, lying thinking, which does satisfy your temporary uh, selfish desires that we all wrestle with. Oh, I don't know why I keep doing this. I don't like it. Well, in some way you like it or you like what it brings you temporarily. But we just need to acknowledge what it is. It's walking with a callous heart, with wrong beliefs, living to satisfy something that will, that will just drain and lead to a life of nothingness. And it's possible as believers for us to live this way. It is in some sense. And so God says, no, don't, don't live that way. Right? Put that, put that off. So that by te- do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renewal. That means the word of God speaks to everything that you and I deal with at its root cause or at its base cause. We're to be continually transformed so that by testing. What's that clue us into? So that by the difficulty of life and the wrestling in your own heart with your desires, you might say, that by testing you may discern or, or rightly interpret what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and purpose. And he says in the end here, put on the new self, the new wardrobe, the new flesh created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And in the next section of this passage, Paul goes on, with six very specific examples of what we're to put off, be transformed in the renewing of our mind, and then put on. I encourage you to look ahead to that this week. But before we get to what is the external behavior of what Paul is calling us to, I want to ask you this morning, does the movie strip of your life show that you are one who is Walking in the Spirit. One who is walking in the beautiful, uh, radiant wardrobe of Christ. When, when you sin, you're not overcome by it because you know that you've been purchased, that you've been redeemed. And so you confess your sin to the Lord and you're not shamed by the Lord. And you say, Father, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you made me to walk with you and to know you, to experience the joy of living in you. And then you say, help me as I seek to put on my new wardrobe in Christ. So we put off our sin. We're renewed in the transformation of our mind. And then we walk it out in obedience. If we skip that middle section, you've heard me say this before and I didn't come up with it, but we'll just be fruit stapling. Put off lying, put on truth. But we miss the whole reason for why we're to do it and how Christ accomplishes it through us and the end to which it carries us to. Would you contemplate that this morning? What is the central or core belief system that you find yourself wrestling with? As we partake of the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, 
If you're one who professes Jesus as your Savior, you, you need not say, oh, I'm, I'm too unclean to come to the Lord's table. You may want to do some business with the Lord before you do that. We'd encourage that. Take a minute and pray. Stand and worship, and then if you want, after a few minutes, come and celebrate the Lord's Supper. We have two up front. We have two in the back. If you don't know if you're a believer, this is a wonderful time just to even remain seated. It doesn't matter that people are walking around. Don't let that concern you. have an audience of one right now, one eternal God that knows you and knows your heart, and you can say, Lord, would you search me and help me to understand where I'm at with you? Or you can come up and tap me on the shoulder, even if I'm talking with somebody, they'll wait. And, uh, and I'd love to just talk with you and pray with you. Or anybody else that you know here would love to spend a few minutes, even during our closing song, sit down and talk through what it means to walk in the Spirit. This is a time where we're able to move around freely. We're able to speak with one another and we're able to encourage each other. We're able to pray with one another. Or you can just pray by yourself in the quietness of your own heart. Let's commune with the Lord together. Father, you are great and glorious, and we praise your name. You are the king of the universe. And it's so silly, futile, when we, uh, when we choose to, 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 to walk up the steps, if you will, and sit on the throne of our own hearts. I mean, it's ridiculous. And yet, as one who's preaching this message today, I know that I do it over and over again. And so, Father, again today, would you dethrone me from serving as the king of my own heart. Would you, would you help me to put off my flesh, help us to put off our old self, put off that old, tattered, worthless, futile wardrobe? And this morning, God, would you just enrapture us with who you are? I said just, but there's no just about it. Would you overcome our hearts so that it, it's easy in one sense to put on the new self? It's easy because you have accomplished it on our behalf and you've transferred your righteousness to us. And there's a complex, difficult aspect of it also, which you promised through the power of the Holy Spirit, your word of God and the body of Christ to help us with. So Father, this morning we take you at your word. We walk in faith. Please glorify yourself in our lives. So that when others ask us about why we have hope with everything going on in the world, our answer is not about politics or the nation or anything else that's temporary. But it's based on the reality that we have in you, that we know, we feel, we realize, and we move in. Be glorified, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.